What is up, people? I am back. This is the Shark Attack. I am Sean Williams. Back from the little holiday break that I gave myself. Hope you guys enjoyed Fourth of July. Got a lot to talk about, and gonna do things a little differently. Normally, I do kind of my own predictions for for the upcoming show, namely Extreme Rules in this case. But that's I'll explain that in a little bit. But first off. It's time for, and debuted it last week, this is the Feeding Frenzy. You're going to need a bigger boat. One thing I did over the week, I did watch the UFC fight, and I did see Daniel Cormier just demolish his opponent, and is now winning, is now sporting two title belts in UFC, including the heavyweight title. And he said that when he turns 40 next year in March, he is looking to retire, but there is one thing he wants to do, and he called out who was in attendance, Brock Lesnar, which Lesnar got in there, they got into a shoving match, and he said to, to Cormier, I'm coming for you. Now, reportedly, Brock Lesnar has begun testing with since his suspension is technically over, but he still has to go through the testing to prove that he's actually clean and actually will fight and not juiced up against Cormier. Now, I don't... Here's the thing. Dana White is not an idiot. He knows a money match when he sees it. He knows there's money and that there's hype behind Cormier versus Lesnar. However, I can understand why Dana White would have some trust issues after everything that happened with John Bones Jones. That's trust he's never going to have back again. I mean, he thought he had all the faith in Jones, and he thought he was going to be one of the all-time greats. But what ended up happening is he couldn't, he basically couldn't overcome his own demons. And now his career is pretty much in the toilet, and I, and I think it's beyond recovery. Lesnar did something similar, but Dana White is willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But here's hoping that Lesnar can actually pull it off. But the, the fact is, is that, look, he's going to do everything he can to have that fight with Cormier and to get back in the octagon, and that's just all there is to it. His passion is there. It's not pro wrestling. So, you know, this just, this just once again proves, and he, I read a report also, Brock will, in fact, defend the Universal title at SummerSlam. So, from what I heard, Lesnar does have two appearances that he's contractually obligated to do. SummerSlam being one, and the night after Raw being the other. Now, one of those two, I'm really praying, Lesnar drops the belt. I mean... Him holding that belt, as I've said, is a huge disservice to everybody else that's there day in and day out and has the passion for it that Lesnar doesn't have. The fact of the matter is that you need to get that belt off of him because you need to have the rest of the guys on that roster to have something to work for. And right now, that something to work for doesn't have a whole lot of prestige because the last two people that have held it are two part-timers who are barely there. Who are just happy to get a paycheck. 
So fact is, you need to get that belt off Lesnar and have these guys start fighting over it and make that championship mean something again. Because for a new, it's a newer belt and it doesn't have a whole lot of prestige on it. In fact, you tried hyping it up as the longest, the longest championship reign. Even though, say what you will about CM Punk, even though he never held the Universal Title, what you can say about Punk, at least he defended that belt. Day in and day out, which is the least I can say about a merc like Lesnar who is just happy to get a paycheck and does basically a get in, get out mentality. So don't be surprised if come SummerSlam afterwards, that'll be the last we see of Lesnar in the WWE ring for a while because he's going to want to put everything that he's got into having that fight with Cormier. And if the reports about Heyman leaving are true, then you definitely have to have Lesnar gone because without Heyman, Lesnar's got nothing. Let's face it. With him, he's some... Or without Paul Heyman to be his mouthpiece, that's basically like cutting off Samson's hair. So, bottom line is, the fight, that fight's going to happen. So, it's only inevitable that Lesnar drops that belt, and he is most definitely not going to be sporting, still be carrying that moniker of Universal Champion by the time he does fight Cormier, which, by my understanding, would be would have to be at the earliest January of next year. Now, second topic of the feeding frenzy. I've had a lot of time to think about the whole Jay Lethal and Taylor Hendricks situation. And so far from what I've seen in terms of her evidence is seeming more like a he said, she said thing. Now, Jay Lethal did speak up about it, but let me, let me be perfectly clear with this. I am not defending Jay Lethal. However, I'm not judging him either. I'm not quick to judge that he's guilty. I'm not ready to do that just yet, just as I'm not ready to call out Taylor Hendricks. Now, I think that, here, here's the thing, with everything going on with the Me Too movement, and you have a bunch of the fans of Lethal because he's ROH champion, because he's got such a, such a or has had such a career in wrestling, you have people quick to his defense and calling, a, calling Taylor Hendricks a liar. Now, the issue I take with this is the fact that, well, first off, here's the thing. While I said that I'm not, I'm not quick to judge Jay Lethal and call him guilty, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not a fan of the guy. And it's not so much the wrestler that I have the issue with. He's a tremendous wrestler. I have no misconceptions about that. It's him as a person that I don't like because my own personal experience, he was a bit of a dick. Now, that being said, even though I think he's a bit of a jerk, I don't think that he deserved, I don't think, I, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt here. But, with the way things are nowadays with the Me Too movement and everything and women coming forward, a couple of things. One is that with the way how, how people are so quick to attack these people, these women that come forward and call them liars. 
this is unfortunate as my friend brian water said this is unfortunately the reason why most women don't come forward is because they don't want to get ridiculed and hit with the backlash that that they get however there is a situation a lot of times where amongst all those that are telling the truth that there are a couple here and there who are willing who are willing to lie through their teeth or make up stories to for a payday or for the recognition i'm not saying taylor Hendricks is doing that either far from it so far only one other person has has come forward back in her story but is remaining anonymous and I just find the timing of it now that Jay Lethal just became the ROH champion again kind of ironic. But bottom line here is I'm still waiting until I see all the facts laid out and until we know what for sure what exactly is going on. Now, if the facts come out and she's telling the truth... Heaven help Jay Lethal. Because ROH, I'm sure, they're more than ready to drop the hammer if they have to. Because bottom line is Ring of Honor and New Japan, who they're partnered with, they cannot afford to have a scandal like this. I'm not talking financially. I'm talking about publicity-wise. This is kind of publicity you do not want. And it is going to hurt both companies if they don't do something, if, in fact, he is... He is lying through his teeth, and he's guilty. However, if Taylor Hendricks is lying, then she falls into a class of people that are just beyond deplorable and horrible. And this could do serious damage for her and her career, and she is just going to be blackballed by everyone professionally and personally if she does something like if that's the case but bottom line here is that it's whoever's whoever's telling the truth and whoever's lying push comes to shove when this ends it's not going to look good for either one of them and that ladies and gentlemen is my feeding frenzy for the week now it's time for a mic drop let the battle come This is going to be one of those rare times where I actually talk about TNA, but one of my mic drops for the week has to go to, I mean, they're calling them the OGs, but I'm just going to say the return of the original and the real LAX. Homicide, the Notorious 187, and Supermex himself, Hernandez. They are back, and they're being backed by, well, they call him King, but I'm always going to recognize him as Eddie Kingston. And this is following when they laid out Santana and Ortiz and Conan, the the new LAX. Now, nothing against Santana and Ortiz. I think they're a fine tag team and they're good wrestlers. They're a hell of a talent. And Conan's always been a pretty good mouthpiece for LAX. But it was between them or Homicide and Hernandez. I will take Homicide and Hernandez always. And... It never gets old seeing Hernandez just chuck people when he does the border toss. And it's going to be interesting seeing that little turf war take place. And it's probably one of the few storylines that I'm actually intrigued by by TNA. 
And no, just because I'm impressed with that doesn't mean I'm ready to call them impact just yet. And so therefore, nothing's changed with that, but I'm anxious to see that how that one pans out. My other mic drop moment has to go to one of the only moments that I actually had something positive to say about Monday Night Raw. And that is, and that, of course, I'm talking about Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins. The stipulation was, if Seth Rollins beat Drew McIntyre, McIntyre would be barred from ringside during the Iron Man match at Extreme Rules. Now, it was a fantastic match, don't get me wrong. And it's one of those things that's further solidified my my love of Drew McIntyre and why I think he's an incredible talent. And that there is still something good with Seth Rollins. So, that was, and like I said, that was probably the best main event that they've had in quite some time and probably the only good moment that came out of Raw. But that... But again, that was my mic drop, and I got plenty more to say. But in the meantime, people, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to be right back right after this. This is Brian H. Waters, co-host of The Wrestling Realm and the host of Break It Down with Brian H. You're listening to The Shark Attack with Sean Williams. Big shout-out to my good friend Brian H. Waters. Make sure you check out Break It Down with Brian H. And, of course, The Wrestling Realm with him and Dwayne Allen. Now, people... Here comes, while we've tackled the good, now it's time to tackle the bad. This is Question Authority. Who's in charge over there? This is aggravating me now. What, I can't count on you people? While SmackDown has been able to deliver the last couple of weeks, heading into Extreme Rules, Raw has just done nothing but nosedive. Seriously, Raw has just flat, felt flat. I mean, I don't know whether, I mean, look, summertime, I get it. They feel like they have don't have anything to really compete against, but seriously, did the writers on Raw take a summer vacation? Because that's what it feels like, because honestly, between Constable Corbin, the Bailey Sasha therapy bits, and it took, and oh, let's not forget the infamous Braun Strowman knocking over Kevin Owens in a porta potty in the main event, between those two things, one, only one show was doing a good job at selling Extreme Rules, and here's the hint. It wasn't Raw. The other, the other question authority moment that I got, it happens to be Extreme Rules. There's probably only like a couple matches that have any kind of stipulation. We found out that Asuka versus Carmella is going to have James Ellsworth in a shark cage. Personally, I'd rather dump him in a shark cage, but dump him in the water with with a bunch of sharks than have him hanging over a cage or hang- or outside of it or however the heck they're going to do it. But you have that. You have the Iron Man match. Nia Jax versus Alexa Bliss is an Extreme Rules match. Seriously, you want to talk about re- pay-per-views that should be retired? Can we please just retire the Extreme Rules pay-per-view? There is nothing extreme about it. Look, say what you want about TNA, but when it but when they did Six Sides of Steel at lockdown, they had every single match take place in that cage. And they backed it up every time. They, and they made use of that cage every time. 
What is so extreme about this? This is a concept that could have been something, and yet WWE has lost the guts to actually do it. You want to make, instead of having different stipulations for every match, you could have just made the whole thing extreme rules. But oh no, you're too worried about people getting hurt. Because you're too afraid to take risks. Seriously, retire this pay-per-view already. I mean, it's dated, just like Survivor Series is. So at this point, just... I haven't. I can't recall a pay-per-view that I'm looking forward to less. I mean, Nia's not going to win the belt back. Truthfully, I'd love to see Asuka win because she's been on a bit of a slump, but I doubt that it's going to happen at Extreme Rules. And as much as I'd like to see Nakamura finally get a win, because he's also been in a slump, I don't know if they're going to do that with him just yet. But I do see him taking the U.S. title at some point from Jeff Hardy. And Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns. Oh, could I talk about a match that I couldn't not care less. But I will say this, that um, if, if um, for whoever wins on this one, well, a win for Roman will do absolutely nothing. It's just going to be the same old thing. The one that probably has the most to lose with a loss is Bobby Lashley, because... Let's face it. I mean, you have that stupid, you have that stupid segment with Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley's quote-unquote sisters, and then everything else with Bobby Lashley after that. He is just not. He is not looking like a contender or much of anything else, and that's a big problem if you had big plans for Bobby Lashley. And without any stipulation, there's really no point in this match at all. And my last moment or bit for question authority. There is nobody that I would say is more lost in the shuffle than Finn Balor. There is nobody that I think should have been moved to SmackDown instead of Raw more than Finn Balor. I mean, he's not doing the demon anymore. The whole flip, flipping up the collar of his jacket thing has gotten old. And I feel like even the reactions he gets from the crowd is starting to waver. And how is it that he was the first Universal Champion, he got injured, and he's never, ever gotten a rematch to get that belt back? I don't know what the heck they're doing with Finn Balor, but he totally feels like he's in a, he's in a stalemate and just... He's caught at a crossroads and doesn't know which way to go. And frankly, neither does WWE Creative. So, that being said, people, that's my question authority moment. And now I'm going to debut a new segment that, I, that I'm calling the cast-off of the week. One podcast that I have seemed to have become a pretty big fan of, and I listen to a lot of them, has been something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson. Now, recently they did an episode where they talked about Ed, Les- Ed Leslie, or as many people would remember him as, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Now, long time ago, people may have remembered that at one point, he it looked like maybe he was on a collision course with Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam, to have an Intercontinental title match and possibly win the belt. But things didn't go so well, 
as as Brutus ended up in a rather bad parasailing accident. Now, I knew of the parasailing accident. I knew it was bad. I didn't know the extremities of how bad it was. For those of you that don't know or haven't listened to that show, basically, in the beginning, it was to the point where it was not so much whether or not he'd ever be able to wrestle again. People were, it was, in the beginning, it looked like he wasn't even going to make it through the night. I mean, it looked like, I mean, he was in bad shape to where not only was it a, was it, um, looking like getting him having a normal life and being alive again would be a miracle. But the fact that the fact that he was, wasn't dead already was a miracle in itself. And that apparently he had what reportedly a, a doctor told him after his face had been put back together that he had a class three concussion and yet a, a rather important low area of the brain that would have been disastrous for him suffered zero damage at all and when asked was that when the doctor was asked was that good the doctor simply said it's impossible so it's a miracle that he survived his wrestling career may not have been the same again because well I can understand the skepticism because nobody would want to do something accidental and just end up, well, possibly ending his life. Because he was, because, you know, it's just a, it was a tragic turn of events. I mean, it's a shame that the guy was never, his career was never the same again because a lot of people were too scared to do anything. But the fact is, is that he's lucky he's, he was even alive. I mean, the guy could have easily been killed. It would have killed anybody else. I mean, and also, but also knowing that Hulk Hogan, who at the time they were good friends, almost brothers, that Hogan was with him the entire time and even helped him through the recovery. That's a testament to show a human the side of Hulk Hogan that people don't know that there is an unspoken code for those that are friends in the business that they look out they look out for each other and he definitely did that so that was definitely my cast off moment just because I thought that was an amazing story and once I started listening to them talk about that I couldn't stop because it was just it was just surreal I mean like I said, I was I was little back then. I knew how bad it was, or I, I knew that it was bad. I just didn't know it was that bad. But, again, that's my cast-off moment of the week. Now, it's time for From the Mouth of the Shark. Smile, you son of a bitch! This week on From the Mouth of the Shark, I'm going to tackle a poll that I did, that I actually did this week. And I was only able to get one in on the group, and this one actually had to do with, in terms of somebody running a promotion. Now, the question in turn was, who, worst person to have in charge in wrestling? 
Now, I gave three options. Dixie Carter, Vince Russo, and Bill Watts. Now, we actually have a tie, because four people voted for Dixie Carter, four people voted for Bill Watts, and two voted for Vince Russo. So it was down to Dixie Carter and Bill Watts. Now, let me make, let me say this, that I acknowledge the following things about the other two. For Vince Russo, he's a writer and not a, not a wrestling promoter. So, basically, and Eric Bischoff is even, Eric Bischoff and Bruce Prichard have both called Vince Russo a one-trick pony. Because after the Attitude Era, he never had anything else after that. But him trying to be a him being a writer and trying to be a jumping into the shoes of a promoter. That's like sending a it's like sending a guppy into the into a entire pool full of or entire ocean full of great white sharks. Just in over his head. Now Dixie Carter. Here's the thing, my or my reasoning about Dixie Carter, she was a total airhead and totally clueless to how a promotion works and how to run one, and she had back in her, well, her daddy's money. And the problem was her daddy and the company that her, the family owns, he was not willing to shell out any more money than they have already have. They were not truly invested in it, and I think it showed, and that's what ended up leading to her downfall, was that she ran out of options, and Daddy basically cut her off in terms of that, in that business. Now, here's why a couple other people, in my, like my friend Brian, Brian Waters, and Dwayne Allen, and of course, Shining Wizards Eddie, and myself, why we voted for Bill Watts. Bill Watts, for those of you that, don't, that may not remember, ran Mid-South Wrestling and before WCW, and he has a reputation of throwing his weight around, being a jerk, and a complete a-hole. And when he came to WCW, he put a lot of wrestlers at risk when he removed the mats from ringside and just had, if they took a hit or a dive off of, out of the ring, they hit the concrete floor. And then, let's not forget, when he actually banned top rope moves, which made absolutely zero sense to anybody. And basically, in his first interview, when he took charge, the first thing that he said was that, from now on, they're all going to be kicking tail like they ought to be. Seriously, this guy just was a jerk right from the get-go, and not to mention cutting of wrestlers, and do I even need to go into a long detail about how he tried so hard to push his son, Eric Watts, <laughs> like, to the top, like, the next big thing. But the fact is, is that Eric Watts was, maybe he, maybe he had the ring skills, but in terms of charisma, which, let's face it, he was brought into the business, or into... WCW at the time when the game was changing. But the, the fact is, in terms of charisma, he had absolutely nothing. 
I mean, as much complaints as people may have about Roman Reigns and his lack of charisma, Eric Watts made Roman Reigns look like The Rock. Well, check that. He made him look like The Rock and Steve Austin combined. That's basically how bad Eric Watts was. I mean, he was just boring to watch. And the only other person that was notorious for doing that was Dusty Rhodes trying to push Dustin Rhodes. But I think what the way Bill Watts was pushing Eric Watts was a lot worse. Because Dustin Rhodes had, had charisma. I mean, maybe not a whole lot, but he had, he had more than Eric Watts did. That's for damn sure. But, you know, here's the, how bad it got. According to, here's the, uh, according to 83 Weeks that Comrade Thompson hosts with Eric Bischoff, when Bischoff got the keys, when the keys were handed to him and he now was in control, he was basically the guy that had to mop up the mess left behind by Bill Watts. And supposedly, the locker room and people that were working in WCW were not the only ones Bill Watts was pissing off. Apparently, he had pissed off Ted Turner himself enough to where he was almost ready to pull the plug on WCW altogether. That he... We almost never had a Monday Night War because of Bill Watts. And, you know, at that time, there were two guys during the Bill Watts era that were known for just being unrelenting a-holes. Bill Watts was one. Ole Anderson was the other. Both have reputations of that. So the fact that one of the biggest defining moments in wrestling history, the Monday Night War, we almost never got that because of that hick, Bill Watts. That, to me, is huge. And plus the fact that he ran a promotion before, and that went under, just like what he almost did to WCW, that says a lot to me. And, reportedly, he was doing the exact, he was running WCW the exact same way he ran Mid-South. And I'm guessing by ran, mean into the ground. I mean, I thought a lot of people criticize how bad Vern Gagne was with AWA. But even even though, well, here's the difference. Vern is just out of touch. I mean, this is a guy who just prided himself on being a jerk and a bully and throwing his weight around with everybody that he could think of. And basically was... Was like this drunken sheriff in an old western trying to say his word's law and you don't give a damn if you don't like it. So, and yeah, I know Paul Heyman was another one that was brought up. Look, Paul Heyman in ECW, I would say, was too much too soon and definitely made wrong choices with trusting TNN, which at the time was the Nashville Network, late before it later became the National Network, and then became um, became Spike and now Paramount. But they, when they got the TV deal, I think the mistake that he made was that he took the first one that was offered to him and took it. Didn't even consider the fact that hardly anybody watches the Nashville Network. So that... 
I think that was more just too much too quickly, and he ended up getting into a situation that was where he was in over his head. That's where I say that Paul Heyman faulted in ECW. But still, I know I respect every one of you guys that voted on that one, but I'm just saying that for me, I don't think there's any guy who 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 was worse than Bill Watts. And I know what you're going to say with how Dixie Carter had no experience. Yeah, but Watts did, and that's the problem. Anyway, that's my, and that people was from the mouth of the shark. All right, we're going to wrap things up tonight. Um, it was good to be back. I want to thank you guys for listening. And for those of you that may actually watch Extreme Rules, I hope you enjoy that. In the meantime, we'll be back next week. This has been The Shark Attack. I am Sean Williams, and people, I am out of here. Good night now.